Welcome to the third episode of Electric Violin Shop's Rockstar Violinist, the podcast that features string players who are willing to step outside the box that tradition has often placed us in. If you missed either of the first two episodes, I encourage you to go back and check those out. Episode one was Mark Wood, the world's first heavy metal violinist. Episode two was Evan Gard, the jazz sensation who is currently touring with Al DiMiola. This podcast is brought to you by Kodabo, the premier manufacturer of carbon fiber bows, and Daddario, the most popular string company among electric string players. Now, we went from heavy metal to jazz in the first two episodes. This week, we're taking another hard turn and venturing into the world of EDM, electronic dance music. Now, if you're part of the dance music scene, you know that it's now not terribly uncommon to see an electric violinist performing live with the DJ. But Rachel Grace was one of the first to do this in the incredibly trendy city of Amsterdam. Now, Rachel's no one-trick pony. She's conservatory trained and is equally at home in the classical world, the EDM world, the rock world, and continues to explore new musical territory. I had a chance to sit down with her in her home studio in Los Angeles and hear some incredible stories about her life, her career, and her art. Right now, you're listening to her group, Saga Strings, who has a huge internet presence on Facebook and Instagram. They play shows all over the world. In the next hour, Rachel will tell you how she got started, how she stumbled onto something new in EDM violin, how she ended up in the United States, and she will tell you about a ton of huge artists she's worked with. So let's get on to the interview with Rachel Grace, rock star violinist. started playing violin very young it's been sort of what you've done your whole life yeah 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 since I was three years old actually yeah um my 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 family wanted me to play the piano they all thought I was going to play the piano because my older brother um was training to be a concert pianist and um one day when I was really little I was walking with my mom through um the city of The Hague where I grew up in the Netherlands, and um, we passed by this music shop, and in the window um, there was a violin, and I saw that as a little girl, and I pointed it out, and I said, I want that, and I think within a week, (laughs) my parents arranged for lessons and a tiny little violin, and you know, I was doomed ever since. Yeah, (laughs) nothing good can come from this. (laughs) No. So, so you come from a very musical family, though. Yeah, yeah, I do. Yeah, my uh, my grandfather was a uh, an opera singer and a jazz bassist. Um, I think my brother right now has his u- beautiful upright bass in his house, um, and um, my dad he still plays piano. Always just loved playing the piano as a hobby. I I remember growing up with him playing every night, and. Um, <clears throat> He actually had the we had the piano in our house that was that belonged to my grandmother, who was actually my mom's mom, so from the other side of the family. And then um what I think is really cool is that my grandfather also from my mom's side, so he was a doctor and um um he was a heart specialist, but as a hobby he played the violin. Mm. And I actually have his violin. This oh, is that's his awesome. yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, so tell us about your uh, about your acoustic violin. Yeah, sure. Um, this is my love. I love this violin. I had it since I was 12 because that's when my grandfather gave it to me. Um, it's been through a lot. <laughs> I once, by accident, threw a high heel <laughs> through this. Oh, no. Um, that was one of the worst days of my life. Well, I guess sort of. Um, I had just played a show at the Roxy with this awesome Irish band. And I had left my super expensive bow on stage. And so when I got home, I had a little studio in that house where I, where I lived. Um, I put my violin case down and I think I was going to practice something. And I opened my case and noticed I didn't have my bow and realized I'd forgotten it. So I just wanted to race out and go back to the Roxy and grab my bow. And as I ran out, because, um, you know, with... Us women, we perform in high heels, but then as soon as we can, at least I, me, <laughs> I take them off and I go in flats or boots or whatever. Sure. And so I put my high heels in my purse and on my way out, one of them fell out of my purse and just, you know, slammed him to my violin and split this part oh, no. um, in two. And I, it, it truly felt as though a family member had died. <laughs> I was inconsolable at that time. So did you even get to there to get your bow back? I did. I went there, and I don't know who would take a bow, but someone took it. It was gone. So you broke your violin and lost your yes. bow in, like, yes. the same hour. It was a truly horrific... Oh. I don't know. I must have bad karma. Something. <laughs> so you got that date circled on the calendar yes. now, because we're just... I'm going to hole up on this yes. date. <laughs> My Friday the 13th. I don't know if it was Friday. but That's awful. Yes. Uh, but anyway, it was beautifully repaired by uh, Benning Violins in Studio City. They're absolutely incredible. And, um, it, you know, this, this violin is actually from uh, 1739. And it has a beautiful, warm and dark sound, which I love. At a lot of festivals that I've played, actually when they had bands before me with fiddle players, the sound engineer would come up to me and, and be like, oh my gosh, how, what, we barely have to EQ you. What is, what's up with, with, you know, your instrument? Then, you know, I tell them that, um, it's a very good instrument. Yeah, it's a good source. <laughs> yes, exactly. So, uh, yeah, I actually, um, my grand father passed away years ago but i played this violin at his funeral mm. which was a really beautiful experience yeah yeah so yeah i i love playing this instrument um i do need to get another violin that has a built-in pickup yeah because um yeah that's kind of a, a thing um you know traveling like, who around. wants to take this 300 year old violin <laughs> out Yes. It's a, some of these places, you know, a lot of places it's cool, but some places are right. a little more sketchy. Some places are a little more sketchy, even though I, those are usually, then usually I, I play electric. Sketchy places lend themselves better to That's electric. right. That's, that's, what, that's what the electric violin <laughs> right. was invented for, for all these sketchy gigs we have to play. sketchy gigs, yeah. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Beautiful. So, um... Then you went to music school in Europe then. Yeah. Um, I, so my dad was working at the Royal Conservatory of the Netherlands, which is in The Hague, where we lived, where I grew up. And um, uh, he actually was a German teacher there. 
because you had a high school division at the conservatory, so you could very you could focus on your instrument and still do your high school, as opposed to having a separate high school from the conservatory and having to sort of go back and forth, which is what I did. <laughs> but because um, my brother, who's a concert pianist, did the same thing, went to a separate high school. Because um, my parents always said, you know, if anything happens to your hands or you're disabled or whatever, you, you, you know, it's good to go to a solid, good high school, um, so you have options. Right. So I, I also actually went to university um, to get a master's degree. Um, so if anything would ever happen, you know, I still have another paper to sure. do something with, which I don't know nowadays if that means anything, but. It's great. Right. <laughs> you got to have the fallback. That's yes. what every musician's parent wants them to have is a fallback. Yeah, yeah. You gotta, I want to fall back. I want to go forward. Right. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. So then you sort of discovered in music school that you were a little more of a, of a rebel than, than your average yeah, classical player. I, I definitely did. I mean, actually, I remember being 12 years old. And so because the conservatory in the Netherlands has a, I don't know how you would properly translate that. And I guess a lot of people don't realize, too, that I'm. 100% Dutch, so English is not my first language, and a lot of times I'm still searching for words, even though my American friends say that the same happens to them. Even it, it does. It happens. Yeah, it happens to monolingual so people. I shouldn't, shouldn't feel that bad, but um, um, uh, what was I going to say? Ah, so the the conservatory has like this pre-program before you uh, go full-time to the conservatory to study there. So if you are younger, let's say you're 10 years old or 12, you can enter their their program um, and then uh, just, you know, follow lessons, be in orchestras. Uh, and then when you're older, you go, I guess, full-time, something like that. Right. But So that's what I did um, when when I was 12, and so I had friends there, and one of my friends played the piano, and um, I just loved going in a little rehearsal room with him, and he would play these beautiful piano chords, and I would get my violin and just um, play whatever I came up with on top of what, what he was playing, and I would love that. And so um, I was always told that I had to focus more on my technique and less on playing by ear. Which is kind of funny in a way, because playing by ear is eventually what got me traveling all over the world and, right. and doing something that I truly love. So being rebellious is, I guess, can be or is can be <laughs> a good thing. Um, even though later in life and still now, I'm you know sort of checking in on that technique part and uh, just getting some of the theory back because it's just it's good to. It's good to have. Yeah, I feel like it's a never-ending battle. No, it to, is. Between creativity and, you know, trying to break outside the box, but yet stay inside the box. Because yeah. the box is there for a reason. Right. Yeah. No, it's, well, and I noticed that if I, for, for, if for a month, I just had electric violin gigs, and, uh, you know, I'm playing shows where I'm jumping up and down, and I'm just rocking out, and then suddenly I, I have to do a, a session that's for a movie or a video game or any of that. It's just, it's a world of difference. And um, um, I, um, I prefer to have three days before session 
if I played electric the, the whole month, especially when I'm traveling, because then it's hard to take time and have your acoustic with you and just keep keep up. But I like to have three days and just warm up, and then you know, then I'm good to go. Right. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so you got your first electric violin. Why why did you do that? What what made you want to go get an electric violin? So I never wanted one. <laughs> I didn't want it. Um, I was in this tango trio because I used to dance a tango in the Netherlands, and um, I was in love uh, with dancing tango. And so I found this tango trio that I was playing in, and we were playing at all the tango salons throughout the Netherlands. And um, but you know, I like to. I just get into the music and I move and I feel it. And but the mic doesn't move, so when I'm here, they can't hear me over there. So they they, they might hear. <laughs> <laughs> um, so then the guys in my band they said, you know, it's probably a good idea if you find a pickup mic. And to me, that was all very new. Uh, I was super young, and um, I went to this music shop and they had this. I mean, at that time, it was pretty new. I think I played the oldest model. I found the oldest Yamaha <laughs> model, almost, that they had. And they said, well, why don't you try out an electric violin? And um, I, my reaction was like, well, I don't know if that's going to sound good. I don't know. Uh, I'm not really into that, I don't think. And they said, well, why don't you try it out? It's kind of cool. You can plug it in. You have headphones, and then there's a reverb setting. You can add some verb on it. And um, I thought, all right, cool. So I, I plug it in the headphones, and I start playing it. And um, I thought it was the coolest thing. <laughs> and I sort of fell in love with it. And um, um, you know, when I think back to that moment, I I, I always think, wow, well, what if I hadn't been in a tango trio, or I wouldn't have, you know. Uh, bought an electric violin B because because of the electric violin um, I got this random gig through a friend in a club in Amsterdam called Club NL if you're ever there and um, it's it's pretty famous it's like a real Amsterdam club it's very cool and um, right in the center of everything and a friend of mine uh, was a trumpet player from the conservatory and he said hey Rachel in a couple of weeks I have this gig I'm gonna play with a DJ which at that time was no one did that right. so even to me I never heard of it um, and he said have you ever improvised with a DJ I never improvised with a DJ but I knew I could sort of improvise so I lied I said yes <laughs> oh yeah I can play with a DJ yeah, I've done that because you know it, if you say no, then you might never, right. you know, you might crush all your opportunities. Anyway. So that's a lesson, kids. Always lie. <laughs> Always lie. <laughs> no, the lesson is just do it um, uh, if it feels good. Because, you know, I also feel your gut feeling has to be right, um, right about it. Sometimes it's off. Last year I was asked to play the Grammys and play viola, and I... I, I can play the viola, but I'm not as comfortable with it as violin. So I said no. And then my friends were like, what? You said no? But it's so easy. That music is super easy. You, you of all people, could have easily played. And then I felt really stupid. Because I'm usually the one that says yes to anything and just try it out. Right. And I'll just, you know, make it happen. But anyway. So next year. 
if they ask you, ask you to play the sax, you're going to be there. Oh, I'm there. You know? <laughs> I will do a tap dance routine. It's going to be great. But um, so, uh, so, yeah, I ended up playing that night in that club. And uh, it had two club owners. And I remember really well that after I just started playing and they ran up to me and they said, this is incredible. We've never seen anything like this. Um, and offered me to play there weekly and have my own night, which I did for a bottle of whiskey. Um, um, which is funny because I didn't drink that much at all. So I had many bottles of whiskey. Anyway. <laughs> um, and that was super fun. And then for me, that was sort of a playground to try that stuff out. And um, I realized I was good at it because, you know, people were into it. I love dancing around with the people I'm playing. And uh, so I thought I'm going to call clubs in Amsterdam and tell them I'm doing this cool thing and that they should hire me. And so within a year, I was playing in all the clubs in, in uh, not only Amsterdam, in, in, in the Netherlands and um, I don't know, for the people who don't know this, many, um, many very, very well-known, famous DJs of nowadays were Dutch and all came from that scene. So I actually got to play with a lot of those, you know, with, with, with some big names that were making it at that time. Oh, that's awesome. And um, I got to be featured violinist at a lot of really cool shows and then... Uh, after that year, um, a lot of travel gigs came up. So big beach parties or EDM, electronic dance music parties, uh, mostly all over Europe. Um, and uh, yeah, uh, it was always really, really fun. Yeah. So then you got like pretty much completely away from classical music at that point and were just pretty much I did. I did. And I even, I even got a little bit lazy because I... You know, at some point I was like, oh, cool, I could just come in, I go to a gig, I improvise, and, you know, what do I need to practice? Little did I know. But so, because <laughs> at some point, you know, after a few years, I started noticing that I kept doing the same thing, and you see a video, and you hear yourself yeah. play the same lick, and you're like, oh, jeez, this is terrible, you know? So, um, but for a while... <laughs> I thought this is great, and um, especially in Europe, the those club hours are crazy. So right. a, a lot of my sets wouldn't even start until three a.m. Um, because that's when the party gets crazy. You're right. And um, but then, other than here in the states, and I, I, I've seen a bunch of club life in LA and some other cities, but very different from Europe. In, in Europe, I had my own backstage. My dog came with me as a puppy. He, I had a backstage that was soundproof, so he, That's awesome. he could be there. Um, whatever I wanted to drink, wanted to eat, and I pretty much could choose when to play. And they would pay me really well. Not in L.A. Yeah, yes. <laughs> the rock star life is very different. They did yeah. not really care about that <clears throat> stuff, yeah. Especially the dance scene. It's very different here. So then you decided at some point to come to the United States. I did, yeah. Yeah, because I started, you know, I got booked for events, uh, yeah, for events and shows in the United States. So I went to Detroit a lot, uh, L.A. a bunch of times, and New York. 
And um, in New York, a couple of things happened that made me decide, hey, um, I, I might want to be in the United States and not in the Netherlands to do this. Um, and just an example, like two things that happened that I thought were really cool and surprised me, like how easy it was to just meet big stars. Um, I played in this club called Marquee in New York. And um, they had this, this little platform uh, behind the DJ, but it was above him. And it was funny because when I walked into that club and told the DJ that the owner um, had booked me, the DJ's like, oh, no, we don't do that here. Violin, that doesn't go with this music. This is EDM. And I said, yeah, I know. That's what I do. I play the EDM. And he said, yeah, no, I, I don't have anything that you can play to. And I said, well, what you're playing right now sounds good to me. And he didn't get it. He just really didn't get it. I literally had to go get the owner to have them plug me in and for the DJ to be okay. Well, he wasn't okay with it at that point, but he still was like, what the hell is going to happen? This woman is going to mess everything up, which I love doing anyway. That's what record bottles look like. So um, I should make a t-shirt with this. But anyway, so... uh, I, you know, plug me in, and I, I literally, I had to go up these stairs, and then, then pull myself up on this platform. Started playing, and it was great because the DJ even looked up and was like, "Whoa, I, okay, this is really cool." Yeah, I'm starting like, to get this. Yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> but um, and the owners, there were also there were there were I think three owners of that club. They were dancing in front and all excited. Um, and so I, I brought a friend who was taking photos. Um, and at some point, there was this huge security guy who blocked the way up the stairs towards my stage, and my friend couldn't take photos anymore. And I didn't really understand why. And so when I looked down, I suddenly I saw this guy leaning on my stage. So he had climbed all the way up there, and he was leaning on my stage and sort of staring up at me. And so I was playing looked down for a second and this very friendly face um uh winked at me and I thought wait I I know that guy and but I was so confused because it was in the middle of performing and I wanted to do a really good job and I thought how did I date this guy he's really cute (laughs) (laughs) I seriously thought that for a second and then I put two and two together and I was like wait you just security guy and I realized it was Usher. Oh, no. Yes. <laughs> and um, um, once I realized it was him, um, I, uh, I, I, I don't know how you say that in English. I hunched down. Yeah. And um, I said, hi. <laughs> and he said, hi, how are you doing? Like, he'd known me for years. Um, and I said, I'm great. Um, that's so cool that you're here. And he said, yeah, you're incredible. Um, and I didn't know what to do because I also like these people were there, the owner who had hired me, which was a huge favor because I didn't know many people in New York. I was just trying to, you know, get my name out. Sure. So I just went back to performing because I, I wanted to complete yeah. my set. I'm sort of at work right now. Yeah. <laughs> like, all right. And so when I, when it was done, he was gone. I was like, oh, oh, what did I do? He's gone. Um, 
So, um, but you know, you got to be smarter than that. So. <laughs> I got um, a business card here somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> well, I didn't. He I, he was. I didn't see him anywhere. Um, so what I did is I went up to one of the security guys in the club, <laughs> and I said, "Hey, um, listen, I just Usher just came to my stage, and uh, he asked me to uh, come find him afterwards." Not true. <laughs> um, <laughs> that's how you do it. They call it show business for a reason. That's right. And and so the security guy was like, "Oh my gosh, you're the violinist. That was insane. I loved it." And I was like, um, "Thank you so much." So you know where Usher is? <laughs> and he said, "Yeah, no, I'll take it. He's in the VIP, uh, in w- which was in another room." So um, <laughs> it was so funny. I followed my security guy. <laughs> into this room, all the way through the club, up some stairs, into this room. And there there he was, Usher, with his entourage at this table, this booth. And he had this huge security guy blocking the way towards him. So it was really funny because it was like this, like, standoff between yeah. my security guy and his security guy. <laughs> and then um, Usher saw me. And just sort of waved at me uh, and, and then took my hand. And I danced with him on the table. Awesome. <laughs> it was great. Um, and um, and asked for my number. He never called me. But anyway, <laughs> so that was that was really, really fun. Yeah, so now you're thinking, well, maybe, I, maybe I could do this thing in America. Yeah, I mean, because that kind of stuff happened all the time. I mean, not Usher, but... enjoying this interview with Rachel Grace. We will get back to her in just a second. But right now, we want to remind you about our sponsors, Daddario and Cotabo. So I want to talk to you about Daddario's Kaplan Amo strings. If you're trying to get some more warmth and richness in your electric violin, and let's face it, who's not? It might be worth looking at the Kaplan Amo strings. They still have a synthetic core, so you don't have to worry about long break-in times or being super sensitive to temperature fluctuations like we get on rock stages a lot. But they are specifically designed to warm up brighter instruments. They come in light, medium, and heavy tension, so you can get the flexibility of light or the quick response of heavy or a balance of both in the medium. Plus, you know they're a high-quality string when they come from Daddario. You can read more about them at orchestral.dodario.com, and you can order yours there today. Also, we want to talk a bit about Kodobo. Rachel talked about losing her very expensive wood bow at a gig. With Kodobo now, though, there's really no reason to take an expensive wood bow to a club gig. You can get the same performance from carbon fiber for less cost and a much higher level of indestructibility. I just took the new marquee bow out for a spin, And I can tell you, I've never played anything like it. It is so buttery smooth that I was discovering a lot of issues that I thought were left-hand issues were really right-hand issues. And my less expensive bow was really holding me back. In fact, after playing the marquee on stage for about an hour, I called my wife to warn her that she might see a transaction on our bank card really soon. 
Learn more at Kodabo.com or visit electricviolinshop.com to order your marquee bow today. Now, back to Rachel Grace, rock star violinist. Then I got a residency at the BB King Blues Club every Sunday. Yeah, with this, Yeah, with this band, uh, all guys, uh, really cool stuff that we were playing, and I, I felt really lucky that they would have me every week. And so uh, one Sunday during a break, there was a group of people, I think there were five or six, who came up to me and said, oh my gosh, this is so great, we've never seen a violin play like this. What are you doing this Wednesday? And I said, nothing. <laughs> and they said, how would you like to come with us backstage to an Elton John concert at Madison Square Garden? And I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> so they were Elton John's truckers. <laughs> oh, my goodness. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, they were driving all over the country with this equipment. And um, it was amazing. We actually we went out for pizza on that Wednesday night. And then they they took me... And I'd never experienced this. We went in a car and you drive into Madison Square Garden right. uh, backstage all the way up. And I ended up meeting Elton John, which was just incredible. And I saw the whole show from, uh, I was sitting next to the sound guy at the big mixing board. Yeah, best seat in the next house. Next to the stage. I mean, that was just incredible. Amazing. So I was like, I'm going to move to this place. No doubt. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, you've, you've not only been able to see a bunch of stars, though, you've, you've played with a bunch. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I have. Yeah. So, yeah, tell me, tell me about some of how, how you meet some of these people, who all you've played with, because I don't think everybody knows your, your whole resume. It's, it's really extensive. Oh, <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> and, um, well, you know, I've played with some big name DJs, but then a lot of people don't don't know them. If you're not in the EDM scene, then you know, just like when you're not from from maybe Mexico or or South America, you might not know who uh, Marc Antonio Solis is, even though he's a huge star over there. So right, I understand yeah. that not everybody, some stars are more regional right. than others. So um, I've played with <clears throat> DJ Tiesto a bunch of times, who. Um, is at some point he was the number one DJ right now. I don't know, but he's still one of the number ones. I don't think he he will have to play uh, or work a day in his life anymore. You know, he's <laughs> I think he's set. But a very 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 nice guy too. Um, I played with him the first time actually here down the road in in Avalon in Hollywood, um, which is really fun. And then some artists here um, uh, recorded with Will I Am. Uh, just last week, actually, for the that was the second time. Um, he has a studio very close to here, beautiful studio, very cool. Uh, Jessica Elba was there because it was for this thing that she's doing. It's going to be on TV soon, some commercials for awesome. uh, yeah, it's really really great. She was also so sweet, very nice. Bought us all dinner, um, and uh, yeah, I've played record for Britney Spears, and. Um, I always, I forget, sorry, superstars, I forget all of you, except yeah. <laughs> um, Annie Lennox was one of the highlights, oh, yeah. for sure. Because I, I grew up with her music, and um, I had a feeling, you know, she had a great personality, but then when I met her, it was even, it was beyond that. She's the most down-to-earth, sweet, genuine, I just... 
I had a total girl crush on Annie yeah. Lennox when I played with her. I even, I remember, I shouldn't say this on camera. I remember being on stage because, so we recorded her album and for every album, no, for every song, we also recorded a video of her, her album, Nostalgia. And then she asked the same string section, actually the whole band back to do a PBS special with her. And I remember <laughs> being, being like a four-year-old on stage and I was right, sitting right behind her and like saying, oh my gosh, I'm, it's Annie Lennox. Like my heart was, it was, I felt it was so cool just because I loved her so much. And even right before the curtains opened, she was looking at us, the string section and like throwing us um, hand kisses or air, I don't know how you call this, <clears throat> but just really sweet. And I remember like a couple of times that I was just sort of daydreaming um, being in a moment that I was with Annie Lennox on stage and then realized I had to play. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. What's yes. the first note? Yeah. I hope no one filmed that moment. Uh. Um, no, that was that was really, really great. And another, um, the, not a musical artist, but I played for Oprah Winfrey, um, which was definitely a highlight. Yeah. Um, especially because. Um, I didn't know it was her birthday party. <laughs> it was booked for some birthday party. I would have bought you something. I don't I know. <laughs> and when I, when I, this was at the Bacara, I never know how to pronounce it, Bacara, Bacara Resort in, um, what is it? Santa Barbara, close to Santa Barbara. Beautiful resort. Um, and they wanted me to walk around and play uh, over sort of like loungy, down-tempo music, which I love doing. And, um, as I set up there, which is also, I mean, I have to mention this. So here you have Oprah Winfrey's birthday party, right? And so I walked in there and it already looked like this was some billionaire's party. Not even a million. This looked like a billionaire's well, party. Well, she's a billionaire. Right. Yeah. It looked insanely, I just, yeah, it was incredible. So then I had the sound guy. So this blows my mind. And this happens so often. Um, and I think it's important mentioning because I think a lot of people that are in the line of work, you know, playing electric violin, doing these shows, uh, uh, that this happens to them. So I bring my wireless, my Sennheiser. I love, I love Sennheiser. I've, I've had my wireless Sennheiser since, I don't know, my early 20s. And it's, it's been a tank. It's always worked for me. Oh, yeah. So the guy goes like, oh, no, no, that equipment I can't use. That's, it's crap. <laughs> like, crap. This was actually recommended to me by Adele's sound guy. Yeah. And anyway, I don't even want to go there and, and throw names out there. But So he was totally dismissive of any gear that I had. And he said, no, we got to use my gear. And I'm flexible, so I'm like, fine, all right, if you have a wireless, I'll use that. Just give me, give me the belt pack and whatever. So then, you know, I mean, I was setting up with the electric violin. It was very clear I was playing an electric instrument. I had pedals with me or I had a little, uh, I think I had a Boss ME70 with me at that point. Mm -hmm. And he gives me the belt pack with a mic. And he's like, all right, so put the mic on your violin. And I, I'm literally like <laughs> staring at him and I'm like, no, wait. I, I, is this your first day on the job? You know? Right. I was flabbergasted. I said, "Do you? This is an electric violin." And he said, "Yes." Yeah, so it, it will, that will work. I was like, "No, that's not going to work." 
Because how are the effects going to go through it? This thing doesn't have the F-holes. There's no yeah. resonance. There's nothing. He said, no, it will work fine. And I, just the stupidity of, also, this is the thing. I don't know if it's because I'm a girl and I'm blonde, but this discussion lasted for almost 45 minutes. Oh, no. So the guy would not listen to me. And eventually I said, well, would, would you do this with an electric guitar player? And he said, oh, no. And I said, so what's the difference? Well, that's a violin. It was, it was the most annoying thing, which unfortunately happens a lot. Uh, yeah. Um, but anyway, we ended up using my gear. Hallelujah. And um, um, so then all was well. And I was playing to my tracks, walking around. At that point, no one was really walking into um, the lounge. All these waiters were standing there neatly waiting for whatever was going to happen. I didn't know still what was going on. Was, I just thought some probably really old millionaire dude, yeah, billionaire dude. I just got booked for the party. So, I was and it was actually funny because this older guy came in and I totally thought that was probably his birthday because <laughs> he was the first one there. But then from the corner of my eye down the stairs, I see you know, this shadow of a lady and I recognized her or I thought I did. And it was like, oh my gosh, is that, that looks like Oprah. So I, I went to one of the waitresses who was standing there and I, I sort of whispered, I said, is that who I think it is? And she said, oh yeah. So I thought, oh my gosh. I would have practiced. Oprah. <laughs> well, so I, I was like, all right, I, I need to stay here because she'll pass me by. And, you know, started going crazy, whatever, doing my thing. And she came by with her whole entourage. And um, what I thought was just incredibly amazing was that once uh, she almost passed me, she stepped out of her entourage and, and walked straight at me and then said, wow, this is absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for being here and playing this incredible music. And um, it was it was not even about the compliment that was great but the fact that she took the time to say right. something because a lot of times we're just anonymous musicians right. filling up space and um it's happened to me so often in the past and now if i have an idea that it's going to be that kind of gig i say no because dude you why would you want to hire someone if right. Like, I was hired for a cocktail party, and they, they told me they had speakers, and then they didn't. And then the guy goes, like, well, just play. You could just play without speakers. And I'm like, how? You're not going to hear anything. Oh, it doesn't really matter. It's just... So that stuff, yeah. it's ridiculous. Might as well be a decoration. Right. Those I call <laughs> those accessory gigs. There's, yeah. there's a lot of those, especially sure. in, in, in L.A. But anyway, um, I mean, people... <laughs> with your parties do you even realize that that's ridiculous why hire a musician who's trained and can actually play you know cool awesome music and and make them do that stuff don't call me but anyway <laughs> so um um yeah for me she just went from empress to goddess <laughs> just because you know it, it told me she really cared right about people and um i have mad respect for that and without naming names, you've you've had other encounters with other celebrities that have have not been positive. I have, yeah. yes. Um, We're not going to shame anybody. No, 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 no. I know the names. <laughs> yes, That's yes. Right. We talked about this, but um, yeah, and those were people that I that I didn't play for that I just got to meet. Um, 
and was was a fan of. <laughs> <laughs> well, I know. I mean, one of them I'm still a fan of, but that's just... It's so unfortunate to me when you have, you know, to me, having a celebrity status is a huge responsibility and, and it's a privilege because you have a voice mm -hmm. and people look up to you and um, uh, you have, you know, you have even more tools to make a difference in the world. And um, I'm sorry, but you're just f***ed up that way. It's right. just... It's to me that's that's so sad. It's very disappointing. So uh, I mean, I saw I'm not naming names, but this very famous violinist um, had an interview on TV, and this was for a show where a lot of young people were watching. And I know she had at that point. This is a little while ago. A lot of young fans, and um, they asked her on a TV show, "Hey, so you know, there's all these kids watching you, and because of you, they love the violin." Um, what would you tell them? You know, how can they make this happen? And then first she started saying, well, um, uh, yeah, I think, you know, hard work can get you there. And then she sort of thought about it. And then she said, but you really got to have the talent. And then I thought, wow, that's, that's such a, you know, downer. Yeah. You know, you got to motivate people. That's what I personally always loved about the United States Because in my country, we have a saying, um, um, uh, I don't even know, I forgot what the saying is. My Dutch just left me. <laughs> oh, if you act normal, you are already crazy enough. That's the oh, saying yeah. in my country. So here I feel people are very supportive, like whatever you want to do, whatever, you know, as crazy as it is, just right. go for it, do it, and we're happy for you. So she was clearly not American. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway so we've talked a lot about <clears throat> sort of gigs if you've done and places you've been as, and all that now you you just got back from the middle east yeah i did huh? with with your group yeah um yeah tell us about your group and sort of what yeah, you guys do yeah i have this really fun and awesome group called saga um uh saga strings <laughs> we added strings to it because You know, the Twilight Saga messed us all up. Oh, yeah. <laughs> If you search for Saga online, you find the Twilight Saga or a, a rock group from the 70s. But, um, yeah, so Saga, we are a group of... We're an electric string quartet, but we play acoustic as well. And we add a singer for some shows. Um, but I guess, you know, we sort of rotate because everybody has such a an awesome career career going on everybody's always busy so we can't always get everybody so uh, right now we have two cellists and then we have three violinists with some others that we really love to work with if one of us can't make it and then our singer who's never said no to any gig because she's incredible awesome and uh, we're lucky yeah So where did you guys do? Where was New Year's? Oh, uh, we were in Qatar, Doha. Okay. Yeah, really, really fun gig. Uh, we played at the Westin Hotel, had a huge stage, and uh, we played EDM, dance music. So, you know, we, get, we just get people on the dance floor and uh, fire them up. Uh, it's a lot of fun. We, our shows are based on, um, you know, we rehearse and we do stuff together, uh, like comping and harmonizing stuff, but then... Um, I feel our strength is really the, the improv stuff, like the solos that everybody takes. Right. And especially since everybody is very different, like uh, we have Lacey, who's an incredible fiddler. 
Like, she will fiddle your ass out of the room. You can just, you know... Uh, I've never heard anyone play fiddle like her. Uh, and then classically, she's incredible as well. Uh, then we have Ginny, Ginny Luke, who mm-hmm. um, is an incredible rock player. Yep. Um, you know, knows her pedals, always thinks about tone and sound, um, which is rare uh, in electric violin. It's something that violinists don't really grow up doing, where guitar no. players do. Right, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Um, for us, it's like having to reinvent the wheel. Because we, you know, I, years ago, I thought, oh, cool, I have an electric violin, let me buy a distortion pedal, and I just ordered one online. had no (laughs) idea that you should research your distortion pedals, and also that maybe distortion was not the best first pedal to go with. Right. Um, But you think, oh, cool, you know, distortion, you've heard it somewhere online, but then you have no idea that it's not going to sound the same. Right. <laughs> when you do it. And then I like I didn't know anything about amplifiers that an amplifier, you know, changes your sound and that's a big part of your sound. But then also since I've always played a lot in clubs where you plug into the DJ mixer and you go sure. through this. So um which now I never do. I mean now I, I go through a rig before I go into anything else. Right. To make sure it's it sounds decent enough. <laughs> yeah. You want to get it to where somebody who's never mixed a violin before can handle mixing you. Yes, yeah. exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Awesome. So, um, I guess sort of tell everybody what's your rig. Now, your violin, your electric violin is, yeah. is Yamaha. Yeah, it's a Yamaha. Um, I think I think it's an SV200. It uh, has a really nice, warm sound. I really love the Yamaha. Um, I used to have... Uh, a Ted Brewer uh, mm-hmm. Vivo Eyes. I can actually, it's in the closet. I can show it to you, but it's <laughs> like, it's in two pieces. Oh, no. But um, it happens. It looks really, yeah, it looks really cool because it's, it's bedazzled. So it has all these little diamonds you on it. You throw a high heel at it. And did you? Uh, I actually, on purpose, I played tennis with it one day. <laughs> no. I was playing in uh, Marbella in Spain, and I think the humidity and the heat just mm. got to it because I was there for three months, and yeah. that's a lot to take for an instrument. Right. So actually, this is the Yamaha that I have right now. I bought it off uh, someone there because I I had to play a show that day and I had, sure. I had to handle it quickly. <laughs> but um, yeah, and then I have a Sennheiser Wireless um, that I love, which is great. And um, uh, I have this Bogner, uh, well, Line Six Spider Valve Bogner amp. Right. I mean, people always sort of cringe when I say Line Six, but these Bogner designed amps are really great because yeah. they have two tubes and it gets a really warm sound i think there was um, a time when some of the line six stuff was a little sketchy maybe yeah i love line six i, I, I play through a line six pedal and, and i love it hello. yeah um you can get both of us if i'm you coming want. to yeah. them <laughs> <laughs> we're coming that's right but uh, yeah because i also i recently bought the helix um the line six helix which is an amazing oh, unit. thing's a beast oh my gosh it's like a spaceship um which it takes a while to learn how a spaceship works. It's, it's a it's a learning curve. So um, I'm actually uh, in the next two weeks sitting down with a guitar uh, guitarist friend of mine who knows it really well. I've been using it for gigs and it's it's been working really well. But I love to just dive into it and get right. to know it better. Um, and then I just you know I have a, a, a pedal board of just um, 
uh, separate pedals. Right, some stomp boxes. Uh, yeah, yeah, exactly. So what's your go-to stomp box? What, what are your favorite stomp boxes? I will never leave the house without my carbon copy delay. I love that one. My Vox Wah, which is over there right now, has been acting up a little bit, so... It's on. It's on the how you say that in sports on the bench. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's a penalty box. Yeah. yeah. So um, and then I have the OCD overdrive, mm-hmm. which gives me a really nice uh, sound. It's very warm. Um, and this pedal that I love, which is called the Fullbore Metal, uh, also by uh, MXR. Yep. Um, it's a lot of guitars don't like it, but uh, if you tweak it right for violin, it gives this. I always think when I play and I hear that sound, like it sounds like a like a bubble, like a nice warm big bubble, mm-hmm. um, as opposed to bees swarming around with high treble. It can be really nice and warm, but it's hard to set. But if you set it right, it, it sounds awesome. And then I love my Micropog. Yes. Incredible. Yep. Really awesome pedal. The whammy I haven't used that much. I, I like to I like to show up with a rig that's not too big. Right. And a lot of those shows that I either do by myself or with Saga, um, you know, you don't need a lot. Right. You don't need a lot. I that's what I've learned too, because I always thought it was about effects. And then on purpose I started practicing stuff or transcribing and practicing stuff and trying to emulate a guitar sound. Right without trying the pedals. So just doing it, um, I guess, dry and trying to get a sound like that. And you learn so much because I think 90% comes from the way you play it. And then it's very cool to add those sounds and it can, you know, open up a new world. But um, sometimes I feel... I don't want it it to sound the wrong way, but... I was, it can be overrated. Effects can be overrated. It's not, it's not about the effects. They don't play themselves. No. It can totally make your show very cool, but, but you know, it's then how you use... Like, I love the delay. I love when I'm sort of sliding around trying to make soundscapes on my violin. Um, so it's sort of what I do merging with the delay to right. make a cool effect. Yeah, you've got to interact with it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, I mean, the effects are sort of like their own instrument. Yeah. And you have to learn how to play them, too. Right. <clears throat> yeah. It's it's not like, oh, you just turn it on, and then everything is very cool Thank suddenly. <laughs> Always working. <laughs> I, I cannot turn that off, but anyway. We can edit that out later. <laughs> So that was an unexpected end to our interview. We did end up chatting quite a bit more, but I really want you to hear Rachel play. She fired up a background track she had and just peeled out for several minutes. This is all completely improvised and without any warm-up whatsoever. Thank you again for listening to Episode 3 of Rockstar Violinist. You've been listening to Rachel Grace. You can find her on social media under the name Rachel Grace Violin, and her group is Saga Strings, S-A-G-A Strings. Our next episode is going to feature yet another completely different genre of music and another instrument. We're going to be with international cello sensation Tina Guo. And you won't have to listen to me again, lucky you. The amazingly talented Shauna Tucker got to hang out at Tina's pad and private studio in Los Angeles just days before she started her world tour with Hans Zimmer. I know you're going to love this interview. Now back to Rachel Grace live in her home studio. <laughs>